Lovely to see you. Um, just Azalea, so Azalea, it was just over a year ago. We had a, a special gift day. Um, we raised £30,000 uh, specifically as seed funding for um, a new work to help women who are caught up in sexual exploitation. So thank you so much for giving that, giving to that. Where our town centre site is uh, in the centre of High Wycombe, that's pretty much a stone's throw away from the centre of much of the prostitution work that goes on in High Wycombe. And sadly, it's a work that is, that is growing. And we've been praying for the best part of two years to set up a, a meaningful work and outreach to those caught up in sexual exploitation. So what we're doing is we're partnering with uh, a charity called Azalea, who are based in Luton. And I'd like to introduce Ruth Robb, who's the co-founder and CEO of Azalea. Let's make her feel really welcome. Come on, even more welcome. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, if, if you want to know more about Azalea, actually, Rich mentioned the small group guide, the Life at King's uh, guide. Please, there is a story just unpacks a little bit more uh, about what we're planning to do with Azalea. So, Ruth, great to have you here. Um, I'd like to go right back to the beginning, actually, and your journey of faith. Basic question. It's a Christian question, isn't it? How did you come to know Jesus? Isn't that a wonderful question? It's the best question you can ever have. So, for me, when I was four years old, my mum read me the story of Moses in the Dead Sea. And I asked my mum, if if, if God is the same, then why don't we see miracles again? Why don't we see the water parted and people be able to walk through it if God is the same? So I went through to my room and I prayed and I said, God, if you're real, show me. Then I saw this massive angel in my room and it was white and I started to speak in tongues. I didn't have a clue about what this meant, but I knew it was God. I knew it was good. And I knew it answered my questions. And I knew it was okay. So you've got, so hang on, let's get this right. You've got this massive angel appearing in your room. Yes. How did you feel at that? Because you never experienced anything like this before. No, and my mum didn't have a clue either. Because I talked to her about it afterwards, obviously. And um, what, I just, knew, I just knew peace. I knew peace. I knew it was okay. And it was overwhelmingly all right. Okay, so then, so that this sounds a bit like a mountaintop experience yeah, for absolutely. you. Age of four. So here you are, mountaintop experience, and then almost straight away you go into a valley of death experience. You have a terrible accident at the age of four. You end up in hospital. What happened? So I love horses. I don't know if anyone else here loves horses, but I absolutely love horses. And the next week I went with my mum, my brother and a friend to go and see some horses down the end of the road. And um, I was stroking the backside of the horse and my mum called me and the horse bucked and the top right-hand side of my head caved in. Because you were kicked by the horse. I was kicked by the horse and I never um, was never knocked out. I was completely compass mentis and I can remember screaming. I can remember the top of my dress being wet with blood and I can remember being in the hospital and looking at myself 
um, on the operating table. And then I went into a coma for a week. So that's like an out-of-body experience yeah. is what you're talking about. You could sort of see I yourself above. I could see above. it, yeah. Yeah, yeah in a sort of third-person context. And I knew um, I could hear voices. I could hear the, the doctors talking about me and talking about the demise of my life. But I couldn't communicate to them that I could see them and that I could hear. I was just utterly powerless. And I thought, I can remember so clearly thinking about the experience I had with my mum and thinking about how powerful it was to know God. And here I am, utterly powerless. So I started school when I was six. uh, And it was, I had to learn how to walk and how to talk again. And it was very long-winded. But I knew that God was with me because of that angel experience I had. So that's the angel experience, but you know, what did God do in that sort of valley of death experience? What did you learn of him at that point? That he was with me and that bad things happen and I can't control bad things, but I knew that God loved me and that was enough. So from that, so you, you then had a, you'd had an experience of Jesus and that sort of mm. set a foundation in your mm. life and you reco- you've praised mm. the Lord, you recovered. Mm. How did you start to become... Uh, or get to work with women caught up in sexual exploitation. How did that happen? Yeah, so when I was 17, um, I was all set to go to university to do architecture. I love architects. Are there any architects here? Good? No. <laughs> so I love architecture, and it incorporated... Um, it's just what school does, isn't it? It incorporates your gifts and tells you what to do. So incorporated my skills of maths and art, and the, the whole fusion of that was architecture. So I was praying, Luke 7, uh, read that passage about how Jesus had his feet washed by a sinful woman, and immediately it went back to the experience I had when I was four when I knew that God was calling me, he was listening to me, and that somehow he wanted me to do something about this. And I knew it wasn't architecture. And I knew that I had to work with women involved in commercial sexual exploitation, prostitution. So you give up a potentially lucrative career, uh, and one that's probably very honoured and esteemed, to work with women where you'll get paid virtually nothing. How did that make you feel? How did you react to that? Well, this sounds slightly strange, but hopefully you understand me. Basically, when I was four, I knew that I was living on borrowed time. I knew that my life wasn't my own because of what happened to me. And I knew that I could trust God. And I knew that obedience meant loving God. And it was okay. And it wasn't my job to make sense of it. I'm not I'm not the person to make sense of it. God is. I, I know with all my heart that I don't understand God. I know I'm on a journey to understand him, but I know I don't understand him. He's too big and too mighty. So you were at, you were at peace about Very it? Very much at peace because I'd experienced God being so good to me. Yeah. And it was terrible when I was four. Please don't uh, underestimate that. I can remember what children remember are incredible. I can remember lying there and I can remember the absolute frustration of not being able to tell anyone that I can hear. And I, I can remember learning how to walk again and all of that. But I knew that within that agony, God was with me mm. and that was enough. Yeah. So God speaks to you, 17, 18. Yeah. You have a gap year. Yeah. And then the next thing you do is you become a social worker at the age of 19, which is quite young. Yeah. 
Then you join YWAM, which is Youth with a Mission. So that's a Christian organization that trains young people. And you joined something called the Earl's Court Project, which was a joint venture yes. between YWAM yes. and HDB or Holy Trinity Brompton. They're the people that pioneer the Alpha course and various courses that we run here. Uh, and that was in the late 1980s. And that was a significant time. Mm. You joined this project, reaching out to mm. those in sexual exploitation. Just unpack what was so significant about that time, why it was important for you to be involved. Yeah, it was a really hard time for our nation. Uh, the HIV and AIDS... Uh, issues were alive and kicking. So I worked with a particular woman in that time who was diagnosed with HIV, not ARC, which is AIDS-related condition, not AIDS, which is full-blown, the actual virus. She had no illness and she died within three weeks. There was no medical intervention like there is now that could sustain life and cause people to thrive. And the fear was absolutely horrendous. It was rife within the drug community and it was rife within the gay community, within Ells Court. And it was very, very fearful time. Uh, and there was no medication at that time because this, no. this is the, out, the outset of things. So you're there, you're in this community. Um, how would you just begin? What would you, what, what would you lead with in order to start to build a relationship yeah. with someone that, that's caught up in, in all yeah. this stuff? Yeah, I think as Christians, we're very quick to tell people how they need help, but to not actually listen to them. And Jesus spent so much of his time asking questions, asking people, how can I help? Do you want to be healed? And we would always ask questions what can I do to help? What does help look like? And the the most common the most common answer was, please, can you tell my mum that I'm HIV, that I'm dying, that I've got days to live? Because the women didn't want to do that no. themselves. No, because of the shame and the guilt and the fear, and they genuinely believed they wouldn't see their family again because there was so much fear that if you talked to somebody with HIV or AIDS that you'd catch it yourself. It was absolutely horrendous. And we had the, the deep pr privilege of being able to pray and to do Bible studies and to point them to Jesus. And it was such a privileged time in my life to be around people that were dying. Um, it's an incredible experience to be with people when they're dying and to usher in the presence of God and all that means. But I guess, how do you start? I mean, it, I, I know a key value for you is to be honest up front. Yeah. So to, in, in order to maintain yeah. integrity. So what does that look like? Yeah, so I would say, if I met the women on the streets, I would say, hi, my name's Ruth. Um, I'm a Christian. And what that means is that Jesus loves me just as I am. I do not need to change to be loved by God at all. I am completely loved by God as I am. But I know, and you know, that when you were four years old, you did not want to do what you do. And God's got, a God's got a plan for you to get out of this. And he loves you enough to tell you what it is. Also, you're equal to me. There's not anything better or worse in you than there is for me. And God never, ever, ever has favourites. And I want to pray for you. How can I pray? But that's also, you said it led to very practical things, rehousing yeah. people, helping them with such, such practical stuff. But it, it would see, or it could seem from looking from the outside, Ruth, that there are so many needs, a vast amount of mm. needs. How do you keep safe boundaries for yourself so you're in a position to help people? Mm. What have you learned about that? 
I've learned that I haven't learned. I've learned that I'm learning. I've learned that God commands me to love myself and to care for myself and to know that in the Trinity is the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and not the Father, the Son and Ruth. And it's only God who can change. As it says in the psalm, there is no one that is righteous, no, not even one. And also, it says really clearly, no one can redeem the life of another. So I can't change people. And asking that question, how can I help, takes the responsibility off me in a strange way and puts it on God because I'm a little, little part of the big picture of salvation, which is the Holy Spirit, which is, again comes back to when I was four years old it was the Holy Spirit that caused the water to divide not Moses and his strength it was God it was the power of the Holy Spirit and he never slumbers nor sleeps so I can I can go to sleep so you always have a day off don't you yeah always always have a day off off. Um, you started Azalea just over 12 years ago when a colleague asked you out of the blue to do it and he didn't want to do it initially no I really didn't Um, what so there's a battle for you, but mm. but you decided actually, yeah, you knew that was the Lord. What just in one line, what was your original vision for Azalea? The gospel. The gospel that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. Well, we're going to show a video now. I want this is to give us a flavour of, of what happens in Azalea. This is filmed in Luton at the at the drop-in centre at, yeah, at the headquarters. I was, I was there just over a week or so. So if you could show the video, I'd really appreciate that. Thank you. So a lot of the women work on the streets and we'll go out in the car and just look for the women who are working. So the aim is just to drive around the areas that we know that the women work and check that they're safe and just connect with them if we can. Actually, I think there might be a woman just over here. Yeah, it looks like. So she's not weaving us on, so I think it'll be okay to pull over. Um, so when we see a woman, we'll stop and just check she's okay, make sure that she hasn't had any kind of um, attacks and things like that. We'll offer her homemade cakes that people have made. So we'll offer her alarm to keep her safe. Sometimes we'll take them back to drop in if they want to go or they want to carry on working, then they can do that. Just to communicate really that we care about them, we love them, and that we're kind of looking out for them, that they're not on their own out there. Drop-in is an open door to the women that we work with. They can come and have access to things that they may not have access to in their day-to-day life. So a lot of the women can come in and they can get food. Oftentimes they are hungry. Um, They can get hot drinks all the time, cakes on tap. They can get toiletries, they can get bath stuff, clothes, shoes. They can do their laundry here. They can come and have a shower here if they need to. They can just come in and crash and sleep if they need to. Um, So they can totally relax um, and know that they're in a safe place. The women come in to drop in and they may come in and say I really need help with the housing application or I need to register my doctors or I've run out of my medication so I'm able to um, take the women over to the council to put a housing application in or I can help them go to the hospital, register them at the doctors, uh, helping fill out benefit forms, helping set up a bank. 
um, practical day-to-day -day needs that um, they need help with um, because they don't have anybody else really to ask. So um, I come along and I'm able to just help with those basic day-to-day -day needs. The Crubbery programme is the next stage in the women's journey with Azalea. And we're going to be working with their emotional, um, their mental health, uh, their issues around addiction and their self-esteem. We have one-to-one -one sessions and in these the women will be actually formulating and putting together their own plan for their own recovery journey. In the Thrive groups the women will be doing a lot more structured work and they will be doing a lot of learning about, for example, issues such as stress and anxiety and how to deal with them, uh, sleeping, healthy eating and why we do them. So my passion is to see these women making choices and positive choices and moving forward. I'd ended up homeless, living in a garage during the winter. It's especially dangerous for women. I was sexually assaulted when I was homeless. In fact, that's when I started sex working. My partner, he'd been really violent to me and was sent to prison. And I'd gone through just one horrible thing after another. And I was just a complete mess. And it was really tempting just to push the self-destruct button. But instead, I looked for services that could help me with my problems. Azalea was one of those. They gave me clothes and food. I could have a shower and do my laundry. They listened to me and gave me sound advice and they prayed for me. And they made me a birthday cake. <laughs> if it wasn't for the Azalea team, I wouldn't have celebrated my birthday. Azalea gave me a safe place when I didn't have anywhere. When I thought no one cared, they welcomed me with open arms. And I got a, a place in respite. And that gave me a two week break from the drugs. And that was when I decided, this is it. I really want to sort myself out. I really want to get clean. So they sent me to a detox centre in Essex and that's where Vicky came to visit me and she bought me clothes and toiletries. And then they sent me to rehab, a rehab centre and for the last year I have been completely off crack, heroin, methadone and prescription drugs. It's amazing, I've been completely transformed. God's taken all the broken bits of me and is putting me back together. I've never felt so whole and complete in my entire life. Azalea has been a complete lifeline for me and I'm eternally grateful to them for their help. I honestly doubt that I would be here in this place I am now without Azalea. It's completely changed my life. That gets me every time actually, Ruth. I almost need to compose myself. I find that so, so moving. That's a real story of a woman that whose life has completely changed. When you set up at Azalea in Luton, about 12 years ago, um, there was a bit of a legacy that a number of Christian organisations that had tried to set up works they did. It would be different from, from the others. And you started very specifically. What was it that you did that was distinctive? So what we did that was distinctive was we asked, we asked the question, how can I help? 
there are many... That, that's the council. Yeah, yeah, there are many, many inspirational professionals uh, involved in commercial sexual exploitation. And we don't have a monopoly on the truth. We really don't. We really don't. And I felt that I wanted to respect what they did and ask how can we help rather than bulldoze in with my agenda. And the answer was amazing. The so this is what the council said to you? Yeah. yeah, they said, can you do the spiritual stuff? Can you pray with the women? Can you pray for the women? Can you tell them about your faith and why it works? Because we can't do that. You can, uh, and we'll get on with our side of things, and you'll do this very clear messaging. But, uh, I mean, that sounds like a really strange thing for a secular... Yes. Council. Yes. To to give you that permission. Um, were you surprised when they said that? Uh, if I'm honest, no, I wasn't because I really believed God wanted us to do Azalea. So where He leads you, He opens doors, and it's I guess it's that simple four-year-old child faith that He'll open doors, He'll answer my questions, and He'll give the peace that always passes understanding. Sounds like a wonderful wonderful move of God yeah, I, I, I know I mean that's 12 years ago and you were starting from scratch starting from baseline how did you get things up and running through the power of prayer through the power of prayer and and asking God what does he want us to do how does he want us to operate and when we first started we had inspirational volunteers um, and we've still got inspirational volunteers who gave an incredible amount of time to make it happen and sacrificed so much to be with us. Yeah. Now, the, that, that volunteering side, that's a really important ethos. That's yeah. a really important sort of foundation of Azalea. Now, you're CEO, so you, yes. you, you, so you are now a sort of salaried member of, of, of the staff, but you still volunteer, don't you, at yeah. drop-in and outreach. Just unpack for us why that's so important that you do that as a volunteer, not as a staff member. Yeah, I do that because I, I believe passionately that you can't lead people in something you're not doing yourself. The volunteer w way really works. If I was given a cheque tomorrow for £2 million, we would still have volunteers because the women are fifth, sixth generation involved in commercial sexual exploitation. Yeah, let's just unpack this. So what you mean is that they are probably fifth or sixth generation of people who've also been caught up in sexual yeah. exploitation. So that's the environment from which they come. Yeah, they don't know people who aren't involved. They're either, they're either peer group or they're sex buyers or they're perpetrators, pimps, or they're professionals. So the idea of knowing anyone from mainstream society is just so different to them. And they have so many bizarre uh, thoughts about what life is like uh, for people who aren't in that bubble. And to show them that people can like them, who are, from, who are teachers, who are businesswomen... Um, who are hairdressers is incredible and to say I want to be there because I like you is incredible it's an incredible narrative I know you love it actually Ruth yeah. and, and you know you, there's so much life in outreach and drop in and so if we could just pick one example that might just help to sum up what motivates you and what drives you to do this mm. something happened on 27th of December this year that's mm. to you 
typifies mm. what the life of Azalea. Mm. What, what happens? So I've had the privilege of knowing one of the women for four and a half years. I really like her, and I've really seen the love of God around her. She's a really beautiful person. When you person. say women, you, you mean people who are caught up in sexual yeah, exploitation? Yeah, okay. one of the women. And the buzzer went, and I recognised the voice. She came in, and I kid you not, I didn't recognise her physically. I could see the, the the broken bones on her face, particularly around her eye socket. And I could see a footmark on her, in between her forehead and the side of her face. So she'd been assaulted. Horrendously assaulted. assaulted uh, absolutely horrendously. But she came, so she, at this point, she'd been violated on the 24th of December and she was coming because she wanted prayer and that's why I do what I do because of the humility and I and I hope that it doesn't take me to be beaten up like that to ask for prayer and to have that humbleness and we went we navigated around Psalm 103 and the beauty of that and Psalm 139 and about how God sees and loves and wants to bring change and healing she hadn't come to see her life radically changed she come to experience the presence of God radically in her life which I guess I could understand because when I was four I didn't see a radical change in my life I saw the presence of God walking through me in the valley of the shadow of death and that was enough for her as it was for me now I know that she's she's being exited she's leaving so she's, that she's, she's decided that yeah she decided that on the 24th and Azalea was is intricately involved in seeing her exit. But we do that with statutory services. Everything we do is within partnership because we don't have a monopoly on the truth. We need each other to do this. And what did she say to you? What was her reaction after she came in and you'd been helping her? Well, it was, I loved it, Richard, because she knew that we would be there for her. She absolutely knew our messaging more than we did. She knew that we would love her unconditionally. She knew that she would get prayer. She knew that she would be believed. And she knew she wouldn't be judged. And it was just, well, there's nothing to comment about because that's who you are. She's highly intelligent and she articulated all of that in a wonderful letter that she wrote to us. So good. And she's got a a path out now. Now, I guess... I mean, I know that's a highlight, and that yeah. sort, of, sort of typifies what, what, why this ministry is so powerful and, and why you love doing it. But it, it could be, I mean, some people could argue, for example, that women might choose mm. to get involved in, in prostitution, and that's their responsibility. Mm. How would you react to that? What's your experience taught you? Yeah, so women who are chained to a radiator and given dog food... Uh, moments before they come to Azalea. I am not capable of understanding where the choice is in that. They're only able to come because we have a food bank. They can only access our food bank uh, because they're involved in commercial sexual exploitation. They cannot go to other food banks because they don't have ID. They don't sign on for social security because their perpetrator, their pimp, doesn't allow them to. All of our women have either been victims of commercial sexual exploitation as children, CSE, child sexual exploitation, or child sexual abuse. That means the emotional capacity is diminished into, tra- into trauma childlike response, which means that if they were eight years old when that happened, they're still eight emotionally. They don't have the capacity to make adult choices, let alone the fact they've got perpetrators 
who groomed them, who didn't tell them the truth when they first met them. They weren't like Azalea. They told them, I'll get you a fast car. I'll give you a nice mobile. I'll give you nice clothes. Our women have all been brought up in abject poverty. That's quite attractive. They weren't told the truth. And that's why it's so important in Azalea that we tell the women the truth about who we are, that we love them enough to tell them the gospel. Because we don't know. We do not know if they're going to be there tomorrow. I don't know if they're going to be there tomorrow. And I have to love people enough to tell them the truth about Jesus. I know you do that in lots of ways. The way you're up front, the way um, you serve them. But you, Alpha, we've seen the Alpha mm. video. How does Alpha work with Azalea? Yeah, we do Alpha twice a week. We have it on a rotation. As soon as we finish, we start again because it's so clear. And one of the I mean, I could talk about Alpha for hours, but one of the things I love about Alpha is the fact that it, it says it's okay to ask questions. There's no question I cannot ask. I will be accepted if I ask this question. Also, our local ministers take Alpha, so the women get to know all these local ministers. And it is and about... lots of different churches. Massive. We've got 18 different churches where the ministers come from. And within that, they come and they say, they explain the course to the women and they introduce their church because we, we don't believe that we have the answer. We believe that together we have the answer. And local church is paramount because they cheat the women and they show that mercy always triumphs over judgment. And I could talk for hours about how local church have, have communicated the unconditional love of God, how they've welcomed. They haven't looked at people's past. They've looked at their present. They've looked at their future. And they haven't judged. That's wonderful. Well, we're, we're on the cusp of setting up Azalea High Wickham. Just in one line, what, what would you love to see? What's, what's the fruit of this going to be? Yeah, that all matter to God that Jesus saves and that everyone can get involved. There's no one who can't get involved. Within everybody, there's an azalea shape. Everyone in High Wycombe has got an azalea shape within their half that says, I can get involved. Maybe that person will never get involved to front line, but they can do the highest and most important thing, which is to pray. It's loving people enough to pray for them. Yeah. Well, Ruth, thank you for sharing your heart. Thank you for giving us some insight into your vision.